It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports Rush with Brett Rump. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! I'm older and I'm blind. Yeah, well, you're half right. This is amateur hour! This is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be our final stone. Just when I think you said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Never a bad day to get some Huey Lewis and the news on the radio. Even if it is a sports show that has to deliver it for you. Hey, welcome to it. It is the Sports Rush. Your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy. We are glad you're taking time out of your Monday to join us and head on home. We have got a busy show coming up. We'll talk to Greg Rakestraw from the IHSAA Champions Network, ISC Sports Network. We'll talk to him about everything with the basketball tournaments. Of course, this is where you're kind of doing double duty because you're looking ahead to boys' sectional play. The draw was yesterday, so we've got some matchups to talk about. we got our schedule to talk about. Uh, but also, you've got the girls' state finals coming up this Saturday, and two of the four games will feature Fort Wayne area teams. Bishop Lures gets the job done in the 2A semi-state, and Lures advances to take on Brownstown Central. That game will take place at 1245 on Saturday, the second game of the Saturday morning session. And then the Norwell Lady Knights. Have you noticed a pattern here yet, Adam? What is the pattern we've got? It's the Knights. The Knights. If you're the Knights, you're advancing to a state championship. Sorry, East Noble, not you. <laughs> uh, but the Bishop Lewis Knights advance to 2A and the Norwell Knights in 3A as Norwell at the semi-state. Game one knocked off the number one team in the state, Hamilton Heights, and then advanced to take on an overmatched Bremen squad where it was 42-4 to at halftime. Yeah, I. that's not a typo. Even if I oh. just said it, it's still not a typo. It's <laughs> 42 to 4 was the halftime score. Wow. And uh, I guess, you know, when when the clock struck midnight for the Cinderella Bremen, it struck midnight. <laughs> wow. I heard somebody say they ran out of gas. I said they ran out of road. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They ran out of car. They're just sitting on a dirt road. Uh, it was it was bad. And, I mean, Norwell's a really good basketball team. Mm-hmm. And Norwell, I think, even if Bremen would have had their best effort, they would have been still beaten soundly. But to be 42-4 to four at halftime in a semi-state game with a ticket to the state championship on the line, uh, I'll tell you what, to me it is further evidence that there is a problem with the tournament formatics. They had no reason to change it. You could have had a two-game regional and a one-game semi-state. Chances are Bremen doesn't survive two games in the regional because they clearly they clearly didn't have the legs to play two games at the semi-state. So 
they probably would have been knocked off at the regional. And if the matchups would have been consistent, then the matchup would have been in the regional championship. They would have taken taken on Northwood, who beat them soundly during the regular season, and Bremen flipped that in the morning game of the semi-state. And it would have been Norwell-Northwood, which I think would have been a better matchup uh, at the semi-state. And I, to me, it's just uh, a missed opportunity to have perhaps a better game for that uh, ticket to the state championship. But uh, Norwell does get it done, and they'll take on Gibson Southern, the two highest-scoring teams in the state doing battle for a 3A state championship. Uh, Gibson Southern 25-4, and four, Norwell 23-4. and four. Uh, Other teams to advance, by the way, Lanesville will take on Marquette Catholic in the 1A game. And in 4A, Lake Central did uh, advance out of the semi-state after beating Homestead in the first game. Lake Central uh, got the win at night. And it's uh, Lake Central versus Lawrence Central. Kind of a consistency there. A pair of LCs going at it for a state championship in Class 4A. But uh, anyway, so congrats to Lures and Norwell advancing down to play for state championships. And, of course, best of luck. And don't forget, tune in right here. You can get all the action. 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, presented by PSM. All right, so uh, we got rate coming up later this hour. Don Fisher, legendary Hall of Fame voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, joining us at 520 as he does each and every Monday. I wish I had something positive to talk to Don about. Yeah. Oh. We got to come up with something after Indiana (laughs) loses another, this time again at home, to Northwestern, who, of course, is playing without Ty Berry. But Langborg and, and who is the other guy? Maletti or whoever the guy was that that lit them up, uh, they ended up they ended up getting a couple of guys that are not necessarily stars. Martinelli, 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 uh, Langberg, and Martinelli. That it sounds uh, like a law firm. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, if you've been injured in an accident, <laughs> uh, well, Indiana did get injured in an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you could say against the Wildcats, they ended up getting beat seventy six to. Uh, to 72, for some reason I've got a typo on here, 76-72 was the final. Indiana battled, but they did not play a great game. And uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what happened to Purdue. In fact, we had a chance to watch these games yesterday. How about our afternoon? Hanging out at Winter Circle at New Haven? Fun time. Yeah, it's always great when somebody stops in and says, I was driving, we were driving by, heard the radio, and decided to pop in. And they got some nice prizes from us. Yeah, they're going to be going to a future Comets game <laughs> yeah, on us. they got the Comet. They got the big prize. They exactly. got the Comets tickets, and it was not rigged. Nope. Uh, but uh, we saw uh, Rick there. We saw, uh, who else was there? I try to remember names. I'm terrible with names. Brian was our host, fantastic general manager out there at Winter's Circle. We had we had a good time. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see what we were up to, a couple of videos are posted right now at 1380 The Fan on Facebook. You can check those out. But, uh, no, it was fun yesterday and great place to, to chill and, and place a bet, yeah. watch a game. And I only live about, like, five, six minutes away. And yeah, so yeah, might have to start frequenting. It might be your neighborhood hangout. Might have to be. I was very impressed with everything might yesterday. Slide in and find Adam placing a few <laughs> bets at the uh, little kiosk there. By the way, uh, I did have the brisket taco. You did. Oh my! 
Good stuff. Uh, the picture didn't do it justice. I, I thought it looked good in the picture. First of all, it, it has some onions, some really hot onions mm-hmm. with a barbecue brisket, mm-hmm. and it gives you a little bit of a bite back. I mean, you take a bite, it bites back. It, it, it little spice, but I, I loved it. It was fantastic, and and it's three tacos for seven ninety nine. Come on, yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah, you know, you know what hot food goes well with is a cold beverage. And so then that's you get the, the cold beverage, which of course those were on sale too. So. Come on. Yeah, and you got your choice of, uh, you know, your favorite brand. But uh, we had a good time yesterday. We don't often get invited to come out, watch the games like that. And so it was uh, it was a good time. Thank you to everybody at Winter Circle for being such kind and uh, congenial host because we did enjoy it yesterday. Uh, 46862 is the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. That's where you fire away. If you've got any questions, comments, or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. What's on your sports brain? 4682. Six two. Anything else exciting happened with your weekend? Um, nothing super exciting. There was the All Star game for the NBA, but I mean that was uh, I don't know if you would call that a highlight, but it was fun. <laughs> oh man, we'll talk about that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Other than that, thank you for showing up, guys. Jeez, let's, <laughs> I thought the three point contest was actually on Saturday. I apparently I messed up the schedule. Oh, no, yeah, it was. Three-point was on Saturday. I mean, they might as well just brought a ball rack out there and put the little, uh, what, the LED uh, um, <laughs> floor and, and you know, put the big splashes when they were hitting all these shots because all they were doing was shooting threes. I mean, come on, they're pulling up from half court shooting. <laughs> Damian Lillard, man. Yeah, yeah, and then, of course, he made it clear to everyone that he was out to get the MVP <laughs> So did Giannis, because that's the only person he ever passed to. <laughs> Giannis, Giannis made sure that Lillard got his. And um, and then out there uh, working solo, Tyrese Halliburton, who uh, I thought I thought overall had a better game than Lillard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought playing at home, future star of the league, come on, don't give it to some aging guy. Let's set up the next generation of stars and give it to Tyrese Halliburton, a likable young star in a small market. That would have been better for the NBA, right? It's, you know, especially to delight the home fans. I mean, come on. And then they give it to Lillard, which, huh. of course, got a big round of boos from the <laughs> Gainbridge uh, Fieldhouse crowd. Yeah, shout out to all the indie fans. Yeah, they did the right thing because that was uh, that was a bit of a snub job. I mean, you know, they they just gave it automatically to the top scorer in the game, the guy who hit the most threes, but the guy who took like twice as many shots as anybody else. Yeah, yeah, it was just a lot of chucking, but you know that's kind of what the All Star game like has become. Guy deciding before the game, he's going to be the MVP today, and then teammates helping him do it. Yeah, I mean, and of course it was the Bucks that doing it yeah, against the, the Pacers. The Bucks against the Pacers. Yeah, that's one way they could actually beat the Pacers. <laughs> but uh, but we'll talk more about how that game went. Sure, and of course they do give the MVP usually to the winning someone from the winning team. But uh, do big shout out to Carl Anthony Towns in the West. He had fifty. Yeah, fifty points he, at the end there. Well, he, he just, just went insane. Yeah. For, for about an eight was, minute period, he was putting on a, a dunk contest <laughs> mid, in the end of the game. There, I'm like, yeah. well, let's get yeah, it. Yeah, it was like Saturday night, three point contest, dunk contest. What do we got going on here? Oh, it's the actual game. I thought games involved defense. Yeah, not this one. Nope. Jeez. 211. Uh, speaking of uh, games that didn't go well, how about uh, the Purdue Boilermakers? 
It happened. Number two team in the country gets knocked off by a team playing with an interim coach in his very first head coaching job. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, you look at Purdue's schedule and you wondered. And I think we might have even talked to Rob Blackman about this. I think we talked to one of the Purdue guys about this, about how does Purdue maintain sharp focus? Because they're going to play some games against teams that are not marquee matchups. You know, they're not. And, uh, you know, they struggled to get by Minnesota. They ended up, you know, sleepwalking through the first half and then finally winning it in the second half. They did pretty much the same against Ohio State, but they didn't have enough left in the tank to overtake Ohio State, especially on the road. But I thought both these last two games were similar, that Purdue kind of felt like all they had to do was show up. They really weren't uh, mentally prepared for the game. And a lot of times that's when you're overlooking an opponent. You just don't have that mental edge, that sharpness where you're ready to go from the tip. Um, you know, Ohio State got that lead. They uh, they got it at, what was it, 10 points at halftime? It was either 8 or 10 or yeah. around there. Uh, and then um, turnovers, that's usually a sign of mental focus. A lot of times Edie struggled with the basketball on kickouts. He, he uh, shot it wide a couple times. He had the ball stripped two or three times. Uh, Zach Edie by himself ended up with six turnovers. Ohio State as a team had six turnovers. Purdue, 14 turnovers collectively. Those hurt. And uh, Lance Jones was the only boiler that hit a three-point shot. That's too much of a part of Purdue's game to not have not have more from the three-point line, whether it's Gillis, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer. Somebody's got to drop in some shots from distance and uh, and take that pressure off Zach Eady inside Purdue didn't, they didn't take a lot of threes. They only took nine threes for a team that hits 40% as a team or close to. Uh, taking nine isn't necessarily a good number. There's got to be more balance in that. Uh, three for nine from distance, and Lance Jones was three for five from behind the arc. The problem for Jones was when he stepped inside the arc, <laughs> he couldn't hit anything. Nope. He was 0 for six on two-pointers, three for five from long range. Uh, but um, Fletcher Lawyer, again, don't get into one of these late seasons, hit the wall. We we gave you the excuse when you were a freshman, but now you're a sophomore. But, you know, we talked about the fact that he's still pretty slight of frame. You felt like, okay, he's probably, you know, built his strength, but he is still a thin player that's going through the physical punishment of a Big Ten season. Is he wearing down? One for seven, because a lot of times one of the first places you're going to see a guy get tired is in the legs, and the three-point shooting will start to to decline. Um, i got a couple guys on the Mastodons that might be going through that. You know, you go through the off-season workouts, the preseason workouts, the preseason uh, close scrimmages, then get into a season where you've got travel, you've got games twice a week, and sometimes at this point in the season... You know, your your body's a little bit worn down. And uh, I've noticed over the last month, a couple of the Don's top three-point shooters have declined significantly in three-point percentage. But uh, Fletcher Lawyer just one for seven from the field, missed his only three, 
And if you look at the points off turnovers, that basically is the story of the game because Ohio State outscored Purdue in points off turnovers 22 to 5. And yeah, and we were watching it. It felt like, you know, Purdue was really struggling to get a basket. And then every time Ohio State would get it on a fast break or a steal or anything, they would just go oh, they right. they just take it right back and score. Right back and score. As soon as Purdue would make a mistake, either miss layup or uh, turn it over, Ohio State made them pay for it. 22 points off the 14 turnovers. That's That's efficiency. But there was a stretch in this game. Where, with about 10 minutes left, it was 54-49. Purdue had climbed back. They got it to where they just needed a bucket. In fact, I remember telling you while we were watching the game, Adam, Mm -hmm. that, uh, hey, if Purdue gets a bucket, they can make this a one-score game. And they had all the momentum. And Ohio State was struggling offensively. But the next, what was it, like seven possessions. Here they are for Purdue after it was 54-49. A Jones missed field goal, a Smith missed field goal, a first missed field goal, another Smith missed field goal, another first missed field goal, a Zach Eady missed tip in, and a Caleb first missed field goal. They went seven straight possessions without a bucket, 0 for 7. And then Ohio State finally scored, and what a difference it seemed to be. It was like somebody finally cracked the ice And Ohio State then went up by seven, which now it goes, instead of it being a chance at a one-score game, it becomes a three-score game, and Purdue has to battle back. You know what that does? It it uses energy. It's always tougher playing from behind. Always tougher. There's more pressure on the defensive stops. You've got more pressure offensively. It just takes more energy when you're playing from behind, and that made Purdue have to play from behind that much more. And uh, Purdue finally did get the score even at 65 apiece. But they just didn't have it in that final minute 39. And Ohio State gets the win 73-69. You know, I, I feel like this game did have the makings of a quote-unquote trap game for Purdue. But I also just feel like Purdue is too good of a team to to fall into those traps. But here they go doing that. What's important? I mean, maybe it's a fan base and a media that has has led to this. Because all of the fans and the media are like, I don't care about the regular season. All these wins, and are they being recognized for being number two in the country? That No, everybody is talking about just don't screw it up in March. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's just like we ignore all the regular season accomplishments because they had those last year. So... Everybody says, you know, hey, that's great. You're number two. That's great. You might win the regular season championship. That means nothing. It all depends what you do in March. And maybe that's what the team has all of a sudden done is, you know, they're not as focused. Yeah, Yeah, they're not as focused because it's not March yet. They've been getting told through the media, through social media with their fan base that it's not a game at Ohio State in the middle of February that really matters. It's the game against a fairly Dickinson that's going to be happening in March that is the important game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other factor, Purdue probably realizes if you watch bracketology, Purdue isn't fighting for a number one seed right now. They aren't even on the bubble for the number one seed. Even with the loss to Ohio State, there's there's just not more than than three other teams that are worthy of a number one seed because there's separation at the top. And so 
Purdue probably has at least another loss, if not one more, that they could give up before they would probably fall to the second line. Yeah, I and they agree. May, and they may think that's not the worst thing. But no. again, everybody's saying the focus has to be on what? March, not now. Right. And so Purdue came out yesterday, looked like they were thinking about March. First, when I think about March, I think about sunshine, warmth, and maybe getting to a beach down in Florida. <laughs> they think about March. They're thinking about not screwing it up and losing to a 16 seed. Uh, but anyway, we did have a good time watching the games yesterday. Uh, Got to get today's top headlines. So let's go ahead and check in with what's happening in the world of sports with Adam Lundy. All right. Thanks, Brett. Speaking of Purdue and college basketball, UConn became the first unanimous number one in the Associated Press men's college basketball poll this season today. The Huskies remained atop the poll for the sixth consecutive week after a blowout of DePaul and an impressive 81-53 win over then number four Marquette over the weekend. Purdue fell to third in the poll behind Houston after their loss to Ohio State. Arizona and Tennessee round out the top five. The Brooklyn Nets fired head coach Jacques Vaughn this morning, the team announced. The former NBA guard was in his second season as the coach of the Nets, who are 21-33 and and sit in 11th place in the East. The Nets are promoting assistant Kevin Ollie to interim head coach for the foreseeable future. After 16 consecutive wins dating back to 2013, the number 14-ranked Indiana Hoosier women fell to the Fighting Illini in Champaign, Illinois earlier this afternoon, 86-66. The Hoosiers had 14 turnovers in the game, and six Illini women scored in double figures in the upset win. You know what happened to Indiana today? I'll tell you what happened. Guess who they play on Thursday? Caitlin Clark in Iowa comes into Bloomington, and so what did Indiana do? They got caught in the trap mm. and did not show up for that Illinois game today. Looked ahead. And a former Nebraska women's basketball player is accusing coach Amy Williams and athletic director Trev Alberts of not taking appropriate action when her sexual relationship with an assistant coach became widely known. Ashley Scoggin filed a civil lawsuit in U.S. District Court describing how then-associate head coach Chuck Love allegedly took a special interest in her and how the relationship turned inappropriate and caused Scoggin to fear retaliation if she refused to engage it. And those are your top stories today, Brett. The guy's name is Chuck Love. Chuck Love in trouble for uh, uh, the wrong yeah. things, man. Loving the wrong woman right there. <laughs> All right, that's oh, today's top headlines. Uh, that is Adam Lundy. Greg Rigstraw joins us coming up in just a few minutes. It is a Monday edition of the Sports Rush, giving you our local sports. First, we'll talk about girls' state finals. We'll also talk about the boys' sectional draw with Greg Rigstraw here in minutes. Hour number two, IU basketball with Don Fisher. What do we make of IU? I mean, about everything you could say has been said at this point, and nothing seems to be changing all that much. Again, Indiana can't get over the hump against Northwestern, down by eight at the half. They make a little bit of a run out of the locker room. They get it to within one, but then they give up an offensive rebound basket to Nicholson. And, you know, that that's one of those deflating things is when you make the run, but you never get ahead. It's what happened to Purdue. They, they kept making pushes, but they could never get the lead. And there is a certain psychological switch in your brain that goes off once you're the team that's ahead. And Indiana never could get that psychological switch. It was like, I don't know what we can do here. I, I mean, we, we play some good basketball and get within a point, and then they go and score two baskets because that's basically what we were seeing yesterday. I'm almost at a point. I was talking 
you know Jamie, our beloved oh, uh, yeah. engineer here mm-hmm. in the building. Uh, he sits right at the office at, but near the exit so he can yell at us as we leave. <laughs> but seriously, Jamie uh, is a big IU fan. And I, I told him this morning, I said, I've come to the conclusion that this Indiana basketball team is not as talented as we thought they were. That they're just not good basketball players. They're, you know, they got a couple of guys who are, are pretty decent, but overall, collectively, the talent level doesn't match some of the other teams. I said in the Big Ten, I would say right now, their talent is right in the middle of the pack, about where they're at standings wise. Maybe they aren't quite living up to that potential. But the other part of it is the expectations were based on believing this was maybe a more talented team than they really have. Trey Galloway, nice player, probably a sixth man on an ideal roster. Uh, Gabe Cups probably will be a very talented player, but he's probably not ready to be a starter at point guard in the Big Ten. Khalil Ware, I don't know what his story is. Because he's capable of going off and scoring 20 points and grabbing 13 rebounds. He's also capable of getting 12 points and 4 rebounds. Malik Renew. Did he play yesterday? Anybody get a Renew sighting? Because he was no impact in the game. And in the postgame, Mike Woodson actually called him out for having a poor game and said he wasn't pleased with, with Malik Renew yesterday. Uh, but when you look at this roster, Mackenzie Mbako, okay, uh, probably a very high ceiling for his potential. But he's got a lot to learn at this level. And as a freshman, maybe there were too many expectations or too lofty of expectations put on him. And he couldn't live up to it. And sometimes that actually knocks you the other direction when you're trying to develop and build your skill set. And then you're told, boy, you're a disappointment. Because yeah. that's kind of what the vibe was. Yeah, that can't be good for the mental. No, and so I said, you know, I think what we've learned is this team would have to far exceed its potential to really make a run at any chance at a Big Ten title. And that right now they're probably hovering right around the mark with where their talent matches the rest of the league. Maybe they're a little behind where they should be, but yet... Let's have realistic expectations. They're not a top two, three, or four program. You know, you've got to, in the Big Ten, you've got to put them down there in that seven, eight, nine, ten slot. That's where they're competing. Where they're in trouble right now, though, is the fact that they could be just a loss away from falling into that opening day set of games, which would be a little bit of an embarrassment for a proud program like Indiana University. I have to agree. I have to agree. They're, they're a program that shouldn't be playing opening day basketball at the Big Ten tournament. Nope, but they are certainly in danger of getting to that point. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. Greg Rigstraw is going to join us. Uh, man, so many things to talk to Rake about. We've got the boys tournament draw, so we now know who plays who in uh, boys tournament play, which will start in about a week and a half. What is it, two Week and, next week. I guess it's not a week and a half now. It's a week. Basically, yeah. We're at a week. Next week, they'll start. We're mathing it up here. Yeah, I got to think. Today's Monday. <laughs> the tournament will start next Tuesday. So that's really not a week and a half. It's a week and a day. Week and a seventh. 
Okay, whatever. Good math. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got the tournament draw. We've got the girls' state final schedule. We've got all the matchups, when they'll play, who they'll play, and we'll get Greg's take on some of these matchups at the state finals where Bishop Lewers and Norwell both advance out of our Fort Wayne area, got nice semi-state wins. And uh, you know what? Homestead has nothing to hang their heads about. That was a very young team that proved a lot in their tournament run. They just fell short against a team that's got a lot of seniors. And we talked to Rod Parker, their coach, about this last week. These are going to take a really young squad in to, again, match up against a team that's built around a strong senior class. And uh, they got it done against Columbia City, and that's in a similar scenario. But not against Lake Central. Lake Central defeated Homestead on Saturday and ended the Spartans' postseason run, but still a very good season. They've got a regional championship that gets added to the trophy case out at Homestead. But it's Lures and Norwell that will be playing this Saturday. We've got coverage of both games presented by Parkview Sports Medicine coming up this Saturday with Brownstown Central and Lures tipping off at approximately 1245. And if history says anything here, it'll be closer to one. And then uh, session two, six o'clock tip. And that will be probably on time because that's the first game of the evening session with Gibson Southern taking on Norwell. We've got coverage, both games right here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Greg Rakestraw comes up next. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6, Brett Rump, Adam Lundy. And don't forget to get signed up for our breaking sports news. And you can interact with shows. Text FAN to 46862. Be a part of our conversation today. Also, make sure you're always streaming The Fan wherever you go. Available worldwide at 1380thefan.com. And this is one of those conversations that you're definitely going to want to stream. Whether you're anywhere in the world speaking uh, English or not, it's, it's well worth listening to because we have joining us now on the guest line from Indianapolis. He is the voice of the IHSA Champions Network. He's also from ISC Sports Network and the voice of uh, Indy 11. I don't know. So many hats that the man wears, it's hard to keep up. But it's Greg Rakestraw, who's also wearing the hat of Sports Rush guest today. Good afternoon, Greg. Bonjour, mon ami, ça va? Ah, hey, very nice, very nice. Just made our fans somewhere. Was that, <laughs> was that, was that, was that Italian, Spanish, French? I don't know. Je parle français très un peu. Ah. And I actually, you know, since you said people that speak English, I thought I would mix it up a little bit. The, the one legitimate time that I actually use a little bit of French is when I have a chance to talk with Lori Bedunga. So oh. being where he is from in in Africa, he frankly grew up speaking a lot more French than he did English. So usually I will finish interview with him with bon chance mon ami, which is good luck, my friend. <laughs> uh, and and that's about the extent of my Francais. But it's up to get a million-dollar smile out of that kid. And he says, merci beaucoup. Thank you every time. Hey, I, well, uh, let's, uh, why you mention him, because I was going to ask about uh, Flory and... With Kokomo, where are they going to have their biggest hurdles when they get to the state tournament? So it would be at the regional round. Uh, there, frankly, is nobody in their sectional, which is the last iteration of that being the North Central Conference tournament, uh, because both Harrison and McCutcheon are going to kind of join in with Tri-West, Danville, and Lebanon as those schools kind of mm -hmm. start to get bigger. They'll form kind of their own conference. Obviously, Logansport is going in a separate direction to kind of smaller schools. 
I think Logan's going to end up being either the largest 3A or the smallest 4A, uh, depending on how that falls when the classifications get released, I think, here in a few weeks. Um, they, they've beaten everybody in that section by 15. So Kokomo drew in the regional. This is good news for, for Fort Wayne Wayne or Homestead. Yeah. Kokomo drew the Noblesville sectional winner. So Fishers, Westfield, Noblesville, one, two, three in the state are all in the same sectional. Carmel beat Fishers. HSE's got 15 wins. And one of Kokomo's losses is to Westfield in their own building, first game of the year. Their most sizable margin of defeat was Fishers in the foreign tip-off classic at Southport on December the 9th. So that is where Kokomo has to figure out a way to get through that hurdle. Now, frankly, they have gotten through that hurdle the last couple of years uh, because, obviously, Wayne knocked off Noblesville at Logansport last year. The year before, Kokomo played Westfield in the regional final when it was two games, and they happened to catch Westfield with Braden Smith playing hurt and beat them two years ago and then got beat uh, in the uh, in the semi-state round of the tournament. So uh, I, I think their sectional is a breeze for them. Um, and I think I think it's all about whom they match up with in terms of the regional at, at uh, you would assume Logansport, depending on where it gets moved. But um, that regional game, Kokomo versus whomever comes out of a Hamilton County sectional, uh, I would I would imagine that will sell out in about eight seconds uh, whenever that site gets announced on that Sunday. Greg, you are the perfect person to have this discussion with because I looked at the regional sites and uh, there is a void with regional sites this year. Okay. And that is the northeast quadrant of the state. Uh, you you know as well as anybody what goes into the factors to determining regional sites. Good question, uh, and a lot of it is kind of the willingness to host uh, because there is not a great amount of money uh, that that the sites get. Now you get concession revenue; it's a great economic boost for your town for that day. There's not a big payout that goes from the IHSAA to the school that gets to host the regional. So part of it is, frankly, uh, maybe a case of want to, and I'll be blunt with you, I haven't studied that greatly, kind of the various regional locations. So my guess would be if there is a clamoring from northeast Indiana to say, hey, we need to have more regional sites up this way for boys basketball, that, could, that would probably get rectified in, in, a, in a pretty you know quick fashion. Well, I'll give you the sites this year, since because uh, you'll be uh, very up on this geographically. Michigan City, South yep. Bend, Washington... Logansport, yeah. Newcastle, which would be basically uh, east side of the state. Correct. North Judson, San Pierre. Yep. Lapel. Yep. Triton. Franklin. Yep. That's a problem. Yeah, I get that. Um, so you're telling me that the two Fort Wayne section winners are going to drive to Lapel or Newcastle for their <laughs> regional game? Is, is that I, what you're telling me? I, I have no idea where it's going to be, Greg. I can't figure yeah. it out at this point with well, the change of the tournament. It, it's it's left more questions for me than answers. Let 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 let's put this mildly. That is probably a problem that was not thought about when they went to the regional format of hey, instead of bringing four teams to one site, let's let's you know potentially be able to move those teams around. That was probably the law of unintended consequences. So it is a very fair point. It is, frankly, a very fair criticism. And my best guess would be that's something that gets rectified as of 2025. 
Rick Rigstraw joining us right now on the guest line. Okay, when you uh, look around the state, of course, you have a familiarity, at least in some regard, of about every sectional in the state. I'm not going to quiz you on them, but you did go through every one of them yesterday. The notes are in my head from last night. If you're ever going to quiz me, now's the time, please. Fire away. This is the day to do it. Sectional to watch. What uh, sectional do you think has the best combination of teams in it? 8, 9, 10, and 4A, any of the three. Uh, so sectional 8 is the Hamilton County sectionals. You've heard me rattle through that. Sectional 9 used to be, hey, you hope you draw that that sectional in, in the Indianapolis Regional. Not so much anymore. Greenfield, Bray, and the Mullins is fantastic. They've won 20 games back-to-back years. Anderson now has put together back-to-back really good years. Second-best team in the North Central Conference. Richmond has their best team in 10 years when they made the semi-state. Uh, New Powell does not have the talent they had last year. But they've got a young man named Julius Gizzy. His sister plays at St. Francis. His older brother plays at Marion. Mom and dad both played Division One basketball. Julius shredded about 45 pounds from his sophomore to his junior year. He has gone from scoring nine points a game to 30 points a game as a junior. Wow. He's fun to watch. They've got 18 wins. And Mount Vernon is better than their record because they really play a bunch of sophomores. And one of them, in Lucas Ertl, whose older brother plays professionally overseas, uh, he's also their starting quarterback on the football team. He got hurt at the end of the football season and literally just came back like February 1st to join the basketball team. So that sectional is ridiculous. And then this is one that I cover every year. Only has three of the top four scoring teams in the state in terms of Cathedral, Attics, and Lawrence North. And it's the last year that this group's going to be put together because, again, because of the changes now that 4A will be 20% and not 25%, Cathedral and Attics will both go down to 3A next year. So it's kind of the last time that this group that's been together for the last five years will play. Attics has yet to win a sectional in their in their 4A days. Cathedral won the one and then won the, won the last two, then won the state championship two years ago. Lawrence North is really good, but seemingly they've not been playing as well in February. Every one of those seven teams in that sectional have won at least 12 games this year. So that's the one that I'll camp out at next week, and, and I have been fortunate enough that – in radio or television, I have basically done every game in that sectional for about seven or eight of the last nine years. And so uh, that's the one I simply set my watch to each and every year. Greg, I'm still kind of adding to my list of reasons I don't like this new format. And I added one more over the weekend in the fact that Cinderella's, which I think are terrific. I think there needs to be Cinderella's in the tournament teams that come out of nowhere and make a, a great tournament run. But I do think... They need to be weeded out by the time you get to semi-state. I want to see the best teams in the state competing sure. for that right to earn the ticket to Indy. And, and it brings up Bremen. Because of the one-game regional format, they were able to pull right. off an upset there. They got into the semi-state. Actually, to their credit, they beat a, a good Northwood team that had pounded them earlier. But that wasn't even a contest for Norwell Saturday night. I'm not sure. It's a fair point. I'm not sure that there's many of anybody that will give Norwell a game. Now, Gibson Southern will. Um, I do think we have two of the best teams in 3A. Um, I thought Danville beating Chittard was a slight surprise uh, in, in, in the morning game of the 3A South group. Um, but Norwell clearly is one of the best teams in the state, period, regardless of class. And Gibson Southern is really good every year. So Norwell fans, you will not see a repeat of what happened at the end of uh, uh, at the semi-state path that you had against Bremen. Um, I, I see your point. Um, I'll also say this, and normally you think of like the teams with poor records or underdogs that get hot at the right time, usually in the 1A level, not the 3A level. But let me give you an example somewhat close to home for you. You know, Southwood was 7-12 and at one point last year. Yeah, They were the 1A North champs last year, and 
fortunately got throttled by Lewis from the championship game. So you, you've seen that run, and, and I'm not sure if that would have changed if the format had been different for a two-game regional versus one. I understand what you're saying, but I think the end result was what it was going to be. Norwell was the best team in the Northern half of the state in 3A for almost the entirety of the year. 42-4 to four at halftime. Yeah. I mean, yeah. ouch. All right, so, Greg, let's talk about 1A, because I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to talk <laughs> about that 1A game. Lanesville and Marquette Catholic. What 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 do you know about, I, I'm sure you know plenty about Lanesville. What do you know about Marquette Catholic? Marquette Catholic led by Lanaya Davis, 19 points a game. Uh, Katie Kaligman was their head coach when they won back-to-back state championships in 2018-2019. That was with the Nolan Twins that would go on to play at, at St. John's in the Big East. I don't think... Marquette Catholic has that level of talent. Because Marquette Catholic plays a bit of a larger schedule, I think they will be more well-suited to compete with Lanesville than most have been over the course of the last couple of years. Lanesville has played a lot of 2A and 3A and even 4A teams. They kind of peeled their schedule back a little bit this year just because they knew they were going to be without a key piece for part of the season, and her return has completely changed everything for Lanesville. Her name is Shelby Allen. Uh, she is a six-foot junior center. She had a great game. Uh, as a backup uh, last year in the state championship game when Lanesville had a pair of six-footers they could put in there, uh, which is crazy to think about for me <laughs> when I was there because we barely had six-foot players on the boys' team, uh, you know, let alone the girls' team. Uh, but uh, Lanesville's really good. And to give you an example of the impact that Shelby Allen has, at the end of the third quarter against North Central of Farmersburg, whom Lanesville beat by one in early November, Lanesville was leading that game against Farmersburg 59-23, to and Shelby had 24 points uh. at the end of three quarters. So Lanesville is playing well. Uh, Angie Hinton is a phenomenal coach. Um, she, frankly, would have had more victories as a coach had she not stopped coaching to raise her two kids. This is kind of her second act of getting back into coaching. Uh, she was at um, – she kind of helped with North Harrison for a while. Her daughter played at North Harrison. When they made a couple of runs about seven or eight years ago in terms of 3A classification. Her husband, Joe, led Floyd Central uh, to the 71-89 and single-class Final Four. He is still an assistant coach at Lanesville in his 80s at this point. So um, I I think it'll be a a more competitive game. Lanesville never trailed against Bethany Christian last year. I think Marquette Catholic will give them a battle. But this is obviously a very battle-tested and talented Lanesville team that, frankly, gets up into your soul defensively. And so that's what you could look for in the 1A game coming up on Saturday. Where are they at as far as uh, this program continuing this kind of run at Lanesville? I mean, are they going to graduate too much talent to keep this going, or is the pipeline full? So they will bump up to 2A next year. Uh, They graduate four seniors off of this team, but the two top players come back. So they will not be as deep. Uh, Ava Kerr is is the best senior. She is going to play in the HBCA All-Star game, which is the – Southern Indiana All-Star game, primarily because she is just uh, maniacal as a defender. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if she might play Division III NAI ball. We'll see what her future is. The star player is Hadley Crozier. Hadley is a junior. Hadley has a chance to be on the Indiana All-Star team next year. You know, you occasionally see players from 1A and 2A that make the All-Star team. Obviously, in your neck of the woods, Connor Siegen comes to mind from two years ago. Mm. He's playing in the Big Ten. Uh, this year, Allie Harness will make the all-star team from Carroll. They are a smaller 2A. Their enrollment's about 325, 350. She's going to play at Western Michigan. Hadley has Division II and NAIA offers at this point. It would not stun me if after the summer she might get some low Division I offers. So Taylor, Indiana Wesleyan, 
and Maryville of Missouri have offered her at this point. She comes back. The aforementioned Shelby Allen comes back. So they won't have the depth that they have this year, but their top two or three players are back. And uh, the baseball team at Lanesville got bumped at the 2A and won a sectional a handful of years ago. Uh, I could see the Eagles doing something similar to that. The issue is simply what sectional do you get bumped into? Uh, for example, Brownstown Central is representing the South in 2A. That could be a sectional foe for Lanesville next year. So we'll see. We'll see how the path takes them. But uh, right now, it's about enjoying this one and potentially going uh, going back to back. And as I tell people, um, because I played at the very end of the single class era, so I graduated in '94. Um, the the class era started in 1997. So we heard rumblings about it, mm-hmm. but we were in the same sectional as New Albany and Floyd Central in, uh. in virtually every sport. And I, I liken it to a line. At the end of Hoosiers in Normandale, talking about going to the state finals, the idea of Lanesville playing in a state championship game when I was in high school would be akin to me and you going to the moon. And I'm about to broadcast for a fourth time Lanesville playing in a state championship game. I'm getting goosebumps talking to you. <laughs> that concept is still like outside of my head. I actually get to do this again for like the fourth time in the last eight years. You know, when I look at this Brownstown Central Bishop Lewers squad, I feel deja vu. I were these the same two teams that met when the state finals were held at the Coliseum here in Fort Wayne? Because I, I recall that that Brownstown Central team, weren't they there? Do you remember? I believe so. So Lures is making their first trip since 11, I think, correct? That, that I'll, I'll, year. I'll start, start, start prepping that game tomorrow, frankly. The coaches' interviews normally are today because the All-Star game, they got moved to tomorrow. So that's kind of what will oh. we'll kick off my prep. And I'll do the 2A TV as well. So I got the morning session uh, for the internet stream, I just call it TV colloquially, but the internet stream on, on on Saturday. But that would not surprise me because again, Brownstown largely plays a three A four A schedule. Of the nine schools that are in their league, I think they are one of two, maybe three. It's three of them that are two A, and so they play up all the time. They're used to it. They've got a track record of success. Frankly, their boys are even more of a favorite than their girls are in terms of winning 2A because having a player like Jack Benner that will play at Purdue. So it would not stun me if these two teams have had their paths cross a generation or so ago. Uh, well, I can tell you, it was that 2011 state championship. Brownstown Central and Lures beat them 59-46. So, see, you're already one step ahead of your prep, Greg. I, well, I, I'll give you full credit for that when I reference on the broadcast <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, it is fifty nine forty six right here at the Coliseum. Lewis won the state championship, their last state title, and it was over Brownstown Central. So, um, anyway, let's. Uh, you mentioned Gibson Southern. What does Norwell have to be prepared for? What makes them so good? Uh, very, very tough competitively. Just simply good athletes. You know, Gibson Southern is kind of like Brownstown Central. One of those schools, you simply go, hey, they're going to uh, play well and be good and have talent. Kyle Brasher is their head coach. In previous years, I would see Gibson Southern come up here and play in North Central's annual holiday tournament and play against some really good level of competition over the years. Here's the, the most impressive stat I can tell you about Gibson Southern. In each of the last three years, they have lost to Evansville Memorial, which is another perennial top-ten team in the southern part of the state. They've lost Memorial in the regular season and then beaten them in the sectional. And that's exactly what happened this year as well. So simply good size, good athleticism, and to be honest with you, that 3A championship game might be the best of the four in terms of competitive matchup, in terms of evenly matched up teams, and frankly, 
two outstanding fan bases. So I think the 3A might be almost the highlight from a game standpoint of the Saturday slate. What's your schedule Saturday? What uh, what games have you got? So I have the morning session. So I will focus on 1A and 2A. So Lanesville, Marquette, Catholic, Brownstown Central, and Bishop Lures. And for those of you listening in Fort Wayne, I've had a lot of Lures championships over the years, so I might be a good luck charm tonight. <laughs> there you go. On Saturday afternoon. We'll give you credit for it if it happens. No, Brad. no, no, no. I want no credit nor blame for this. No, sir. <laughs> well, you'll, we'll give you credit if Lanesville wins, too. So, you know, because I've it's... only got a couple of relatives on the team, so I'll take slight credit for that. <laughs> Greg, always appreciate it. Have a great week. It'll be a busy week, but uh, we look forward to your coverage coming up on Saturday. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Yep, that is Greg Gregstraw joining us from Indianapolis, part of the IHSA Champions Network. He'll be uh, on the call for 1A and 2A, which, of course, 2A, Brownstown Central, Bishop Lures. We've got your coverage right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Derek Decker is going to be down at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and he'll have all of the action. Brownstown Central versus Bishop Lures. That is uh, approximately 12.45 on Saturday. And then coming up on Saturday evening, a 6 o'clock tip. Gibson Southern Norwell, and yes, we will be there for all the coverage. Josh Williams has the play-by-play right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, presented by Parkview Sports Medicine. We'll take a timeout, come back another hour on the way, including our talk with Don Fisher, legendary Hall of Fame voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. He'll join us for our 15 minutes with Fish. It's a sports rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.